you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13 is where we're going to be. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version this morning, so it'll be a little different if you're using your Bible that's in your pew this morning, or if you have it on your phone or your tablet, go ahead and look that up. You can change your translation if you don't use that normally. First Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians 13, begin reading with verse number 1. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And I want you to say this last one with me. Love never fails. Say it again. Love never fails. Father God, we give you this time. We ask you to use your word to speak to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Did you know that there are two places in all of Scripture that God thought it was so important to create an entire chapter for one topic? There are two places. The first one is in Hebrews. We, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, it is what we call the faith chapter. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we see all of these stories kind of recapped as as God's word brings it back to, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses, by faith, Noah, by faith, by faith, by faith. The entire chapter of Hebrews 11 is all about faith. Then there's a second chapter in Scripture that says it's all about a topic as well. One topic, the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and we call it the love chapter the love chapter. And these words that we just read are poetic as Paul writes these words about love. Let me just repeat some of these. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Someone just say amen, would you? Amen. And then it says, love never fails. How many of you have ever been told not to use extremes in your life? Don't say things like always or never. Anybody ever been told that? Yeah. But I love it when God's word speaks against some of those things we've been taught. That was not God's word, <laughs> but God's word says this extreme. It says love never fails. Do you believe that? Amen. 
Amen. Love never fails. You know, I love uh, famous quotes. And sometimes we get some of these quotes out of Scripture. Sometimes they come and they look and sound like Scripture. I want to read some of these famous quotes I like uh, about love. Some of them are about love. Here's, here's one. You've probably heard this before. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Anybody ever hear that one? Okay. Do you know anybody know who said that? I didn't think so. Okay. Alfred Tennyson said that. Alfred Tennyson said that. Another famous quote that, we, that we've quoted over the years is, knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Francis Bacon said that. To err is human. To forgive is divine. Alexander Pope said that. And then this one, I love this one. This is one we get mixed up a lot. It says, God helps those that help themselves. How many of you think that's in Scripture? Raise your hand. It's okay. Nobody? Awesome. You guys are such good Bible scholars. It's not in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin said that. Benjamin Franklin said that. You know, the title of this message is part of a famous quote. Uh, it's verified to be credited by, by a baseball player. Maybe some of you have never even heard of. I think I have a picture of him. Uh, his name is Leroy Satchel Page. Leroy Satchel Page. Let me tell you a little bit about Satchel Page here. He was one of the first Afri he was the first African American pitcher in the American League. In 1982, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame. He had played over 20 years in Major League Baseball. And much of that time was spent as the only black man on the field. He was criticized and insulted when he pitched. Teams hated him so much for the color of the skin that they tried to embarrass him when he was out there. One story goes that a team that they were facing had the best four hitters in the game of baseball. The best four hitters. And normally what a manager will do is they'll set their lineup such that you'll bat, you know, two or three good hitters, then your best hitter. Then you'll bat two or three more hitters and then another really good hitter. And they'll use that cycle. Well, this team tried to embarrass Satchel Page that day. And so they put all four of these hitters, one, two, three, four, in the lineup. They were set and determined to humiliate Satchel Page. But this pitcher was a little bit... Um, he was eager for the challenge, if you'll say. This is a story that's been verified over the years. And the story goes that as these four batters were coming to hit and the Satchel Pages team took the field, he went up to his outfielders as they were running out onto the field, his three outfielders, and he told them, he said, no, you guys just stay in the dugout. You guys stay in the dugout. He told his infielders, first base, second base, third base, he told them all, he goes, I want you to go out onto the field on the infield and I want you just to sit on the base. Just sit down right where you're at. Just sit down on the base. So they did this, and everybody was wondering what was going on, and Satchel Page went out there and began to strike out each batter he faced. Many times, Page played two games a day. He pitched the entire game, both games. He had famous pitches that he was known for. Some of these were called the B-ball, the bat dodger, Long Tom and Hesitation Pitch. Over his career, he struck out 1,438 batters in his career. And he even pitched three innings at the age of 60 for Kansas City. 
This is different, but that's why Kansas City's so bad is they get go get these old pitchers to come pitch for them. Yeah. Yeah. But at 60 years old, he pitched three innings in the major leagues. He had some very famous quotes. Here's, here's a couple of them. If you want to be a good pitcher, keep the ball off the fat part of the bat. Makes sense. Yeah. He said, work like you don't need the money. Dance like nobody's watching. And then the title of this message is a quote that came from Paige as, as he was doing an interview and he was just finished the game and he was getting hurled insults at him from people that were standing around and they were, they were yelling at him and they were cursing at him and they were calling him names and they were just flinging hate at him. And the, the interviewer said to him, what, how does that make you feel? And he replied, you know, you've got to love like you've never been hurt. I want to tell you this morning that sooner or later, anybody under the sound of my voice is going to suffer hurt. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be let down. You're going to be talked about. You're going to have a conflict with somebody, and most likely you're going to be stabbed in the back. You're going to be hurt. And unfortunately, many of those hurts are going to come from the people that we love the most. While I was saying those things, for some of you, a face has come into your mind already of somebody who has hurt you, of somebody who has wronged you, of somebody who has made your life hard. You see, some of our biggest hurts come from those that we love. Mark Twain said this, he said, if you find a dog on the side of the road that's hurt, that's starving, that's mangy, that's dirty, that's dying, and you feed that dog, you take it home and you groom that dog, and you nurture it back to health, that dog will never bite you. He went on to say, therein lies the major difference between human beings and a dog. Because many times the people that you've loved the most will hurt you the deepest. I love famous quotes. I love getting some of those insights from people that, that say things that you just think sometimes, man, I wish I would have thought of that. Jesus had another one that came in Matthew 17, and he said this, offense will come. Offense will come. It's going to happen. You're going to be offended. You're going to get in conflict with somebody that you love. You're going to be hurt. And at some point, anybody all of us, we can get along with people as long as we have the same viewpoint, the same theology, the same thoughts about God, or the same thoughts about politics. And we can get along with anybody who has the same viewpoint as us. That's easy, right? But what do you do when you get into conflict and you don't agree? I want to share with us this morning, you've got to love like you've never been hurt. You've got to love like you've never been hurt. The truth is, some people wake up in the morning, they brush their teeth, and they sharpen their tongue so, for the sole purpose of trying to hurt somebody else. Somewhere, someday, somehow, you're going to be hurt. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? It's going to be a great day. The pastor's talking about getting hurt all day long. <laughs> You're going to be wounded. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. And maybe by somebody that you're close to, a family member, a friend, a coworker, maybe even somebody that's in this room today. 
Somebody's going to betray you, but you've got to rise up and love like you've never been hurt. I just want to lay a foundation for where I want us to go this morning. So would you just, just commit to stay with me today, okay? We're going we're gonna to walk this journey together, but I want to lay a foundation for us. I want you to think about a few people that loved like they've never been hurt. I want you to think about Joseph in the Bible. He's standing there with his brothers in front of them. He's sharing his, his dream. His brothers have come back to him. If we go toward the, towards the end of the story and his brothers are standing in front of him and Joseph holds the keys to the kingdom. He holds the keys to all of the grain bins in the entire country and his brothers who have sold him into slavery are standing in front of him. His brothers who betrayed him, his brothers who beat him and made fun of him and, and did everything they could to try to get Joseph out of their life, they are now standing in front of him looking for mercy, looking for love. You see, this brother of theirs, they threw into a pit. They faked his death. They sold him into slavery. And as Joseph begins to get older, it, the hurt didn't change. He, he gets sold off into Egypt, and he goes, and he becomes the, the greatest worker that Potiphar had. He, he is put in charge of the kingdom, and everything in there, the Bible says that everything was under his reign except for what Potiphar would eat. That'd be pretty cool. Well, the Bible, very, very next words in that paragraph say, now Joseph was a handsome man. If you ever read that in Scripture, you can probably assure that the next thing is not very good. Okay? He was a handsome man. And then it goes on to tell a story that as Joseph has been put in charge of all of Potiphar's kingdom, he's basically the most powerful man in the kingdom besides Potiphar himself. Now his Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph and begins to invite Joseph into her bedroom. And Joseph says, no, he does the right thing. He stands up for what he believes in. He continues to do his job. And then Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape and begins to treat him poorly. And he gets punished for something he did not do. Joseph is thrown into prison. And in then prison, he could probably think, you know what? I'm done. This is it. But instead, Joseph begins to work hard in prison and become the best prisoner that prison guard has ever seen. And the prison guard puts him in charge of all the other prisoners. Wow, this guy's got a good work ethic. Two of the king's people come into prison with him and they have dreams. And Joseph then interprets the dreams and he tells them, remember me when you get back into your places and his friends forget about him they forget who helped them you see joseph had a choice to make do i get revenge as my brothers are standing here joseph's decision was i'm going to love them like i've never been hurt then we see moses in the bible moses he wanted to set God's people free, but he failed. And he went and he wandered in the desert for 40 years. And God says to him, I want you to go back to Egypt, the place where you were a murderer, the place that you ran. And I want you to go and I want you to set my people free. And Moses said, 
No, God, I've already bit that, or I've already petted that dog and it bites. I don't want to go back. And God said to Moses, I want you to go and I want you to love like you've never been hurt. We think about David in the Bible. David had a father who didn't believe in him. He had brothers who made fun of him and belittled him. He had a wife that put him down and mocked him in his worship. He had a son, Absalom, who broke his heart. He had a father-in-law who tried to kill him. (laughs) When you think about all that David went through, can you just look in the mirror at your own family and think, man, my family's not as messed up as I thought. David had it rough. David had people in his life that he didn't choose. They were family that hated him, that treated him so poorly. Sometimes you have to learn to love like you've never been hurt. You know, it's, it's one thing when we have a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter that's a prodigal, that's running from the Lord, and, and we think, you know what, how can I continue to love them, and how can I continue to show God's love to them? But some of us, we have hurts in our lives that we blame God for. It's one thing when a prodigal is in our family, but what is it? what do you do when you feel like God is a prodigal God? God, you didn't answer that prayer like I wanted you to. You didn't come to my aid when I needed you to. You didn't come when I needed you the most. And we have to decide, are we going to love God like we've never been hurt? Think about Job for a minute in the Bible. In one day, Job lost 10 children. And I don't mean he just lost them in the mall. They died. He lost 10 of his children in one day. His wife said to him as he's going through all of this, Job, why don't you just kill yourself? His own wife. And then his four best friends sat in a circle and accused him of being a hypocrite and telling him off. And Job made a decision in that moment. He didn't become bitter. He didn't lash out in defense. He prayed for his friends and he decided, you know what? I'm going to love like I've never been hurt. Jesus was afflicted. Jesus was beaten. He was wounded and external hurt. He was bruised and internal pain. But he lifts his voice on the cross. You see, Jesus didn't wait for us to come to him and ask for forgiveness. He lifts his head on the cross and in that moment made a decision. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. Forgiveness can rewrite your future. You see, the Christian walk is nothing but a journey in forgiveness. Amen? Jesus said, Father, forgive them because I'm going to love them like I've never been hurt. So many times in our lives today, we think that just because we have conflict with somebody or there's somebody we just don't get along with, we can just write them off. Ah, I just won't, I won't deal with them anymore. We can, we can say, you know what, I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about them anymore. And sometimes we even do that to our own family. And we, we say, you know what, if you're not going to come to our side of this, I don't, I don't need you around anymore. And we just write them off and we push them aside. And, but Paul writes in Romans 5 about what we are supposed to do. He says, when you were estranged from God and you had no righteous compass, you were despicable and you were wrong. God, who is rich in mercy, one who knows the truth about you, took the first step and every other step to reconcile you back 
And now he says, I want you to reconcile with your own family and friends. We've been called to the ministry of reconciliation, of forgiveness, to truly love like we've never been hurt. You know, it's hard sometimes when we're parents. If you're a parent, would you raise your hand? If you're a parent, okay. If, if you have kids, would you raise your hand? Okay, I just want to make sure you're awake. How many of you grandparents in here today, and you don't have to raise your hand for this one, you see your, your kids, your grandkids' parents, and you see the way they're raising their children, and you think, you know what, I should probably say something. This isn't right. And sometimes we've probably said some of those things that we probably shouldn't have said and and things get kind of bent out of shape and, and our family relationships get a little squirrely at times. And I think there's times that as grandparents or as parents, I know the day's coming for me because I've watched my mom and dad do the same thing to me. Where at times we just need to probably zip our lip. At times we probably just need to Keep our mouth shut. Why? Because sometimes we have to realize that our words, the things that we say to those that we love, have power in them. Amen? Words have power in them. I looked up a a very strong word this this week, and I think it's very pertinent to our discussion this morning. The word is nitroglycerin. Nitroglycerin. It's a very powerful thing. The one definition said something to blow up something, destroy it. And the very next definition was, it can heal the heart. Wow. You know, if you're having heart pain, you take that nitro pill and everything kind of comes back into line. But if you want to get rid of something, you light some nitro and boom, it blows it up. Same thing. You know, our words are like nitro. They have the power to blow something up, but they also have the power to heal. Sometimes we may look at our kids. You may look at your parents, (laughs) your grandkids, and you might say, I may not agree with your lifestyle, but I love you. I may not approve of what you're doing right now, but as long as you live, as long as you're mine, I'm going to call you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to check in with you. I may not be willing to aid and finance your, your problem or your, your, <laughs> your lifestyle, but I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to be there for you, and I'm right here because I love you. Nothing will stop me from checking in and loving you. You can't put me out of your life. I don't care what kind of lifestyle you go into. I don't care what choices you're making. I'm going to love you because love never fails. Amen? The title of this message is also a book by, written by a pastor. His name is Jensen Franklin. And he tells a story of a hurt in his family. And I want to retell his story a little bit this morning for us. He retells the story in this book, and if you've ever read this book, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I encourage you to go read this book by Pastor Franklin. He says it's one of the greatest trials that his family has ever faced. He had five kids, and one of them was a daughter they sent off to college. And 
their picture of their family was like any good pastor's family, right? Greg and Sarah, it's just wonderful. It's beautiful. Everything seems so great and wonderful and perfect. But everything wasn't so perfect. They sent their daughter off to college three hours away and she got into a crowd that she shouldn't have been involved with and she began to experiment and use drugs and alcohol and began to get very sideways and one thing led to another and it was a Wednesday night and Pastor Franklin was getting ready to go and to preach. It was 30 minutes before church and the knock on his office door came and the door flung open and it was his wife and she said, I know you're getting ready to preach and you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to get our daughter. Because if we don't go get her now, we may never get her. So he left everything. He got in the car and they drove three hours one way to get their daughter. They picked her up from college. They found her. They left everything in her dorm room. They didn't care what they were leaving. They just brought her home. Stuff is just stuff, he says. They got her home and they tried to bribe her. They tried to encourage her. They tried everything they could to change her life. And he says this, and I thought this was really good. He said, honestly, we probably overdid it in what we tried. Because, you know, when it comes to raising kids, there's no instruction manual. Somebody say amen. You just do what you think you have to do. You keep trying different things, and they did everything they could, he says. And finally, their daughter ran away from home. She was tired of them trying, and she ran away from home. And for five days, they had no idea where she was. His wife slept on the couch and waited up, didn't sleep much at all, and waited for their daughter to come home, waited for the phone to ring, waited for them to be able to find her. And one Saturday night, he gets a text message on his phone. It says, Dad, I'm married and I married the boy you didn't want me to marry. He says, in that moment, life changed. Their family dynamic changed. Everything that they'd worked for, he believed this, this kid, this young man had ruined it. So he wrote this book, Love Like You've Never Been Hurt. Because he wanted to unveil the ministry veil that tell the truth that about love and about forgiveness. You see, he had trouble forgiving this boy for what he had did, what he had done to his family. He blamed him for the problems that his daughter had. He blamed him for all of the situations that they were having to go through now because of this choice. But he knew deep down in his heart he had to forgive. But how? And he knew God had to do a work in him first. And he began to think back over Scripture, and he began to think back over the disciples and Jesus' life, and he began to ask the question that Peter asked as well. How many times do we have to forgive, Lord? And he asked that question of God, and he began to research it. And you see, the Bible talks about this, and Peter went to, to Jesus, and he asked the same question. And Peter knew, he, he knew how the Pharisees were raised. He knew how the, the good Hebrew children were raised, and the, they were taught that you should forgive three times. Hebrew law says you should forgive somebody three times. And so Peter went to Jesus, and he said, Lord, how many times should we forgive? And he, I think Peter was trying to pull a fast one on Jesus because he knew the answer what it should be, but he was trying to be double, doubly spiritual 
And he thought, you know what? If it's three times, maybe I, I can double that. Well, I'll even go even the extra step and I'll say, maybe it's just double it and add one for good measure, right? So he says to Jesus, is it seven times? Another, another theologian, I don't know how smart he was. He said, you know what? We, we know that Peter was married. We know that because the Bible says Jesus healed his mother-in-law of a fever. And so we know Peter was married. And so maybe there was something going on in Peter's life. I don't know. This theologian says, you know what? Maybe Peter's wife had done something wrong six times and Peter was waiting for that seventh so he could get his revenge. And I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. But Peter's asking Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? He was looking for a mathematical formula of what it means to love and to forgive. And Jesus said, no, not seven times. He said, seven times 70 per day. 490 times per day. I don't know about you, but if somebody was hurting me 490 times a day, it would be hard to stick it out. Amen? But Jesus says, you've got to love like you've never been hurt. You've got to forgive. There's not a mathematical formula. It's a choice that we have to make. I went looking for a, a visual illustration for you, and I couldn't find it, but you can see this picture here this morning. This is a ketchup bottle. Somebody say amen. Anybody here like ketchup? How many of you ever go to a fancy steak restaurant and insult the waiter by asking for ketchup? Anybody? Nobody. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, some people put ketchup on everything. I'm not a big ketchup fan, but uh, I, I live with some that are. And you see, this bottle of ketchup is one of those old-fashioned bottles of ketchup. It's the glass bottle of ketchup. And as soon as I said that, you knew exactly what I was talking about. You see, this bottle of ketchup, we think, the first thing I think of when I think of this is, man, it's hard to get anything out of it, right? But when is the last time you tried to open a brand new bottle of this kind of ketchup? Just getting the lid off takes might that I, I don't know if I have sometimes. And you sit there and you strain yourself and you strain yourself to get that little lid off. And then when you can't do it, you go ask your wife, amen? And, and she just pops it right off. But it's, it's hard to get the lid off. But here's what's really cool about this kind of ketchup. You know, the new bottles of ketchup, and I don't have a picture of that. You just kind of pop the top and you, you just squeeze it. And you're just like, and it just goes everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? And, and it's so easy. There's not, even, there's not even any pain involved. And you just, you just squirt it everywhere. Well, this kind of ketchup is different. You've got to open it up to be able to get the product out. If you go to Heinz.com, H-E-I-N-Z.com, Heinz.com says that 11% of people who use this product know this. There is a little number 57 marked on this bottle. And if you, if you look closely at this picture, you can see the edge of it. See the, the white at the top that says Heinz 57? How many of you can see that? Just to the, from your side, just to the bottom right of that seven is a little glass etching 57. 11% of the people that use this product say they know this. But if you open that bottle up, you've released the initial pressure 
And then as you go to pour it out, if I had a bottle here, I could open it and sit it upside down and you would see nothing come out because of how much pressure is in that bottle. But the, the producers of this product put that 57 there and they say that if you begin to tap that 57, if you begin to tap it and you continue to tap it, it'll release the pressure in that bottle. And before long, the ketchup that you so long to have, now your food's cold, right? But you keep tapping and that ketchup comes out. The ketchup comes out. If you tap the 57 and you keep tapping it, the pressure will release and you can see the contents come out. I want to tell you this morning, how, what does this have to do with forgiveness? What this has to do with forgiveness is the first step in forgiveness is you have to be open to it. You have to take the cap off. No matter how hard it is, you got to get it open. You got to be open to forgiveness first. You don't have to wait for the other person to be open to it. You don't have to wait for them to come to you, but you have to be open to the idea. And then once you're opened, you begin to tap the bottle. You begin to call the person. You begin to tap the bottle. You begin to send the note or the card and you begin to tap the bottle. You begin to send the text message or the email and you begin to tap the bottle. You continue to make an effort and you go out of your way. Why? Because you want to love like you've never been hurt. You're open to it. You begin to make the effort. You begin to tap the bottle. Well, what if they don't receive it, Pastor? Why do I have to keep tapping it? You see, whether they receive it or not is of no, none of your concern. What matters is that you're willing to be open to it. What matters is that when nothing comes of it, when, when you still can't see any fruit of your tapping, of your continued effort, you have done your part. How many times do I got to keep tapping this bottle? I don't know if you have to tap this 490 times. I didn't count. I don't know. But I do know that there's probably not a number associated with it. You just got to keep tapping. You got to be open to it. And then you got to put the effort into it. You got to work. Why do we have to work so hard? Here's the key. It's in your outline. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The key is this. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. You see, we have to learn that it's not about keeping score. In our text this morning that we read, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. It's about forgetting the count. It's about forgetting the score. It's about forgetting all that they may have not done or done to hurt you and forgetting about how many times you've tried, but to keep tapping. Amen? Forgiveness is not about keeping score. It's about losing count. It's about loving like we've never been hurt. You see, we got to quit holding the grudge. We got to quit demanding a reason. We got to Quit doing the things that we think are right, and we need to start following God's Word. When you begin to take these steps, you can look back on things, or maybe better ideas, you can zoom back and zoom out on your life a little bit, and you can see the big picture and realize that, you know, sometimes the worst things that are done to you can bring out the best in you. Sometimes the hardest and worst moments of your life are opportunities for you to love like you've never been hurt and to let God bring out the best thing that could ever 
happen in your life. Amen? Let me tell a quick story. One of the really cool things about my wife, and I love my wife dearly. I didn't ask for permission, so don't go tell her this when we're done. My wife has an incredible story, an incredible story of how God has redeemed her life and used her in an amazing way. You see, my wife has been hurt so bad by the people that loved her so much. And she's decided to say yes to the Lord when the Lord said, you know what, Alicia, I want you to use the the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And I want you to use it for the best thing that I can do with you. And you see, my wife now helps others who are going through the same exact hurt and trauma that she went through. You see, sometimes the worst that's ever been done to you, God can use it to bring out the best in you. Amen? The last thing I need to say about this is is simply this. I've heard it said most of my life that there is only one sin that cannot be forgiven. One sin, and that's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that's the unforgivable sin, and that's true. The Bible does say that, but it's not true that that's the only sin that's unforgivable. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, we hear these words. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So here's what we need to know about this. Number three, it's unforgivable not to forgive. It's unforgivable not to forgive. You see, then we may be asked, well, I'm waiting on them to make the first move. I'm waiting for them to come and say they're sorry. I'm telling you today, if you start to open up that bottle and you are open to forgiveness and you begin tapping on it, just reach out, just send the card, just make the phone call, just go the extra mile, say the encouraging words. They may not accept it or maybe they will. But you know what's beautiful about this? It doesn't matter how they respond to you. Because God challenges challenges us. You need to love like you've never been hurt. To not forgive somebody what the, the wrongs they've done in your life is unforgivable for you. God, help us. Help us to live and love like we've never been hurt. Why? Because God's word says that love never fails. So we got to be open to it today. Amen. We got to do the effort that it takes to take the cap off. We got to start tapping. We got to start reaching out. We got to start making an effort and we must forgive others. I want to close with this thought, this question for us today. Is anything keeping love and forgiveness from pouring out of your life? Is there anything in your life that is blocking the flow of love and forgiveness from coming out of your life? In other words, what's under pressure in your life? What is so packed in there in your life that you can't get past it because love and forgiveness are not flowing through your life? The words that you're speaking are not words of love and hope and encouragement. 
the words you're speaking are words of keeping score and keeping a record and making sure you're right. I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me this morning. Because I believe it's very important for us today to realize this truth. If we don't, as Christians, love like we've never been hurt, we're really asking for judgment on ourselves. So I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to ask the team, if they would, to come back up. And we sang a song earlier called Reckless Love. We're going to sing it in just a moment again as we go because I want us to have that reminder of what it means to love without abandon, to love without boundaries, to love like we've never been hurt. But before we do that, Lord, Lord, we come to you in this moment and we just want you to examine our hearts. Each one of us, Lord, is standing here and we're, we're similar to a Heinz ketchup bottle today. We're under pressure. We've been hurt. We've been wronged. We've been, we've been going through pain. And you're calling us today, God, to be open to a new truth. To be open to a new way of life. A new approach to life. So God, maybe there's somebody here today that is not experiencing love and forgiveness flowing out of their life. And before they can go and forgive anybody else, they need to settle it with you. I want to invite them. If they need to come and pray and to surrender it, they can do that. If they want to do it right where they're seated or standing, they can do that as well. But God, would you just come right now? If there's, if there's something in our lives right now, God, that's preventing love and forgiveness from flowing through our lives, would you make it real to us? Would you show us? Would you help us to repent of it, to give it to you, to say, I'm sorry, because God, you will forgive us. And as we're open to forgiving others, Lord, I pray that you would help us. Whoever that face is in our life that we see, whoever that picture of somebody who's hurt us is there in the back of our mind, maybe there's some unresolved forgiveness that hasn't taken place. Well, pastor, I'm waiting for them. I'm here. I haven't changed my phone number. But God, your son looked down from a cross before we were even thought of. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. So God, would you help us today to be like Jesus? To look at those wrongdoers in our life and say, Father, will you help me forgive them? Even if they do know what they're doing, I want to forgive them. I want to love like I've never been hurt. Would you help each person here today, God, that is struggling with this issue to surrender it to you, to trust you, God, to make a way to trust you to help us to love like we've never been hurt. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Would you sing this with us?